0: You're listening to an airwave media podcast.
1: You're now tuned into the Pod Awful Channel. Pod Awful. Bi Quarterly Women's Social Club. Days and Convicted. Fool Party Radio. Showcase. The Devil's Advocates. The Projection booth. Awful Flips. Pod Pod Awful. awful Dot. Dot. Net. Net. I have have control of your TV (laughs) set.
2: Support for the Projection Booth Podcast comes from Stitcher Smart Radio. Now podcast listeners can access the latest episodes of the Projection Booth and thousands of other podcasts on the go without downloading or syncing. Stitcher instantly delivers episodes of your favorite shows to your mobile phone. Stitcher Smart Radio can be found in the iPhone and Android app stores or on the web at stitcher.com slash booth. Oh, you suckers gather around. There's
3: a brand new movie. Coming to town? So get on up and check the scene of the smoothest, baddest mother to ever hit the big screen. Main man, Black Dynamite. He's super cool and he no kung fu. Drives a five thousand dollar car and wears a hundred dollar suit.
1: You're so righteous.
3: This is also true. And when it comes to the ladies,
2: he's out of
1: sight. Uh, let me guess. You one of these brothers thinking get by on a wink and a smile, huh? What about the smile?
2: I am smiling. Black
3: Dynamite. Never in the history of the game has there been such devastation. The CIA needs Black Dynamite now more than ever. We need you, Black Dynamite, now more than ever. I thought I told you, Hunkers, from the CIA, that Black Dynamite was out of the game. And he's better than Chef Superfly and the Mac put together. But when the mob kills his brother... Your death will not go unabashed. And put the dope on the street. It's my nephew, Bucky. He OD. He's back in the game and he's playing for Keith.
2: war on anybody who sells drugs in our community. But Black Dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. He killed my best dealer. I want him
3: dead now. So if you crave satisfaction, then dig this action. Guaranteed to put your ass in traction. Black, black stack attacking match Coming back. You see where I'm coming from, you child mother- Black Dynamite, starring Dynamite. all-star running back Ferrante Jones, fashion model Tambula Call, William P. Michelson, Ronnie Sinatra, Little Tiny Tigs, June Bowell Bo Willie Peter, and me, that bad boo Black Dynamite, Dynamite. the only cinema-finding quadro-vision rated
4: aura.
5: Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is my co-host and main man, Mr. Rob St. Mary.
6: When you pop the top, the panties drop.
5: This week, we are celebrating the third anniversary of the Projection Booth podcast. Yes, believe it or not, but we've survived three whole years. We are also talking about Black Dynamite, the 2009 film from Scott Sanders, starring Michael J. White as the titular Black Dynamite, a super soul brother who fights crime on the street, and beds ladies in the sheets. When his brother gets killed, Black Dynamite swears vengeance and uncovers a plot that goes all the way to the tippy top. All right, Rob, when did you first see Black Dynamite?
6: I saw Black Dynamite, it may have been in 2009, I can't remember exactly, but I did see it in theater. I saw it at the um, now-defunct Burton Theater, and the guys over there showed it, and it was hilarious. I didn't know exactly what I was going in for, I had some idea, and um, just being a fan of the genre and history of black exploitation film, and especially movies such as Dolomite and Avenging Disco Godfather and all that stuff, uh, yeah, it was a hell of a good time. And it's one of those movies that you can put on and really enjoy. If, and, and I think if you know those films, it adds so much to your uh, enjoyment of the film. But I think that even if you don't know a lot about black exploitation, you can still find it funny.
5: I got a package in the mail probably February of 2009 from my good friend Skiz, and it had a poster for Black Dynamite inside, a little rolled poster inside of it. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? And just looking at it, I was like, this looks right up my alley, but I didn't know anything about it because that's all he sent me was just the poster. And he emailed me later saying, you know, this movie is right up your alley. So it was on my radar for a long time before I finally was able to see it. I didn't see it theatrically. I waited until it came out on DVD and watched it that way. And I watched it in like 10-minute chunks when I first watched it the first time just because I was so afraid that it was going to go the wrong way. You know, I'd seen – other movies that tried to like recapture the past. And I don't know if I would say that black dynamite is a parody of older films, but kind of paying a lot of homage to older films. And I just was so afraid that they were going to screw it up somehow. Like all of a sudden, like, I don't know, somebody would show up and just ruin the whole thing, but I was enjoying it so much that I would just watch in these little you know segments and just like feast upon them i felt like a little you know tit mouse or something just chewing on these things just like this is the best thing i've ever seen
6: yeah well while you were being a mouse tit or a tit mouse i watched the whole thing <laughs> in one big piece <laughs> and the thing is it's that i i don't know how you could have watched this thing in in 10 minute burst because it's actually rather short it's i think it's under it's under 80 minutes
5: yeah it is a short film but I think in that way it doesn't ever outstay its welcome either, which is really nice.
6: The thing that you were saying, you don't know if it's if it's a satire or a parody. To me it it's so much of it's picking up on the style and it really does a nice job playing in the style. Like I mean, it looks like seventies film, the way it's shot, the colors. The, the sets and everything, and even the acting, like the one, <laughs> like even the acting choices in here that I think the actors are kind of brave, including Michael Jai White, for putting themselves out there to be ridiculous. Because some of the line readings, and we, and we talked about this a little bit when we did um, Black Shampoo, some of the line readings at times can be a little stiff or odd um, in these really low budget, you know, fast moving films that they were making in the 70s. And at times, Black Dynamite plays in that mode where some of the actors are just just a hair off. And I think that's really – it's not that they're bad actors. They're doing that on purpose. And it it actually shows that they can – that they understand what they're working in and how they're working it. And I I thought that was kind of brilliant too.
5: Yeah, to be able to act badly on purpose is – such a skill that I don't think that people really understand. Yeah. You know, it's like that moment in uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure where he's mouthing the lines that James Brolin is saying, and just you know, continually looking over at him and everything. That bit of bad acting is brilliant to me, and just to be able to pull that stuff off, it shows that you know how to be a good actor.
6: Yeah, because it's. I, I remember my uh, acting coach. Uh, back in in high school, I was in this play, and and he said to me, he goes, "There's nothing harder than playing down." He goes, you know, lots of people can play smarter or at the same level that they are, but to play down, he goes, that's that's difficult. And and I think it and sometimes that's what that is in here. But you also have people who are who are comedians who are part of the cast and and they do really well, including Tommy Davidson who we talked about in the bamboozled episode a few weeks ago. And uh Arsenio Hall does a great turn uh in, in his role as well.
5: Arsenio is almost unrecognizable. And there are a lot of people in this film where it's just like is that who I think that is? You know, like John spider Sally and stuff just showing up. And it's like, they never stop the action and say like, Oh, look at who we have here in this cameo role, which I so appreciate because so many movies can do that where they'll just like ruin their own pacing by giving a nod to who's on screen. And they never do that with this. It just rolls right along. And it's the same thing with the jokes. You know, they don't give you those pauses for laughter with some bad comedies where it's like, here's the punchline.
6: Let me elbow you in the ribs so you know the laugh at this one.
5: And this one, it's so subtle. Like, I guess we should talk a little bit about the plot here. Black Dynamite, his brother gets killed, which is such a, a black exploitation trope. It's very kind of Get Carter, which then was translated into Hitman-esque kind of a thing. When his brother gets killed, it is so good. It totally reminds me of that conversation that we were having with your friend J. Scott Smith about black people who speak correctly, quote-unquote. <laughs> <laughs> so good at this him just kind of throwing a ala- around the lingo and i love that he's immediately on the defensive and mike Starr, who we talked about on the cruising episode yes. he's the the bad guy and uh he's like look man i gotta get back to the streets where i come from sucker i told you job jumps i ain't no snitch and mike Starr's like who said you were so black dynamite has to come back into town and find out who uh killed his brother and of course he thinks his brother has you know gotten into a world's drugs And of
6: course this is also part of the of the trope of films like this is that he's retired right he used to be part of the cia but now he's retired and he's got to get now he's got to come back and work for the organization again so that's always another part of these revenge films
5: totally black belt jones with that speech too with the the white uh cia agent talking about how black dynamite was the best cia agent the cia ever had
7: bb i lost three of my best men in there now i'm asking you as a favor bullshit
5: you're
3: asking me to be the fourth why don't you get the cats upstairs to make believe it's a ghetto get a couple tanks and blast it down
7: all right Look at this. You see who's around Don Stefano? Right. Senator Carl. Those other two are governors. Heavy company. So heavy he could get those tanks turned on us. You know what?
5: You ought to write comedies for television.
7: Mm Mm-hmm, that's really cute. But can it be done? Hell no.
5: It's great, though. You know, we go from from hitman to black belt jones and then we go into dolomite
6: dolomite has two appearances in here in a lot of ways at least appearances. there's there's the boom mic that shows up so the boom mic comes back to make a cameo a couple of times and then there's the whole bed scene with the women and then queen bee remember you know there's always oh this, yeah like rudy ray moore always had this thing with like a female character that he would call queen bee i don't know if it's just in dolomite or if it's in disco godfather as well but there was always this like like woman this sort of, like i don't want to say an old woman but sort of you know a few few years older than than the others and she's sort of like the neighborhood lady it's like oh it's so bad out there dolomite so it's like the same thing within uh black dynamite as well
5: oh dolomite i'm so happy And she's talking about how the drugs are out on the street. And this was the moment where Black Dynamite had me is when she talks about her nephew, Bucky. (laughs) And when Black Dynamite throws out that line from Avenging Disco Godfather of, Where is Bucky? And what has he had? I just said, this movie feels like it was made for me. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. And that's the thing, you know, you said it earlier. You don't have to know that that's a reference to something it just works yeah. you know
6: if you know what it's a reference to then it adds another layer of funny for you i mean oh yeah like like there's got to be at least 10 minutes 15 minutes in the film where he's walking around in this black leather trench coat which is shaft everybody knows that that's richard roundtree's look from shaft so there's all these little either visual touches or there's actual line pulls from other films
5: yeah and same thing man you don't have to know but man it sure makes it just a, a- much more brilliant experience as you go through cuz they they just weave it in it's like this beautiful tapestry rather than like hold on a second we're about to make a reference to an older film you know <laughs> I guess in that way it kinda reminds me a little bit of like Shaun of the Dead, where like they, they'll make little references here and there, but they don't just like stop the action to say, We are about to do a line pull from Night of the Living Dead. Hold on, here it comes. <laughs> get ready. And just like yeah. telegraph it to the audience like that. Yeah. If you know that line that Ed says about, you know
1: We're coming to get you, Barbara.
5: That's great. If not, it works with what's going on in the film. <laughs> so, of course, we've got every trope that I can really think of in here. We, you know, we talked in uh, Detroit 9000 about, you know, corrupt politicians, and then we've got mob ties going on. I mean, there's pretty much everything in the book is thrown into black dynamite, but luckily, it all ties together.
6: Well, well not only that, but there are tropes that are tropes within black exploitation that show up in the film. Which is obvious, but I mean some that you wouldn't even consider as as main tropes. But the the one is the go to the club and the bands playing scene. That's like in every black exploitation film. And then there's a foot chase in every exploitation film at some point. And there's that in here, too. And, of course, both of those are absurd as well.
5: Oh, and we've got the the pool hall scene, which feels like it's right out of Trouble Man. To me, one of the best scenes in the film is when uh, we get this kind of council of pimps going on, which to me is kind of a mix <laughs> of Willie Dynamite and the Mac all at once. It's like they, they're pulling the best bits out of both of those because you've got the pimps all kind of – doing their whole thing with these outrageous outfits and everything and then you've got the guy in the corner who's kind of like the grandmaster pimp and his little speech is like so what the older pimp says to goldie in the mac
3: listen up pimpin been around as the world start turning it's gonna keep right on turning right along with it yeah until this little planet rotates off its axis as a result of its core overheating and explodes into
2: cosmic dust. Can you dig it? You see, peppin's big business. And it's been going on since the beginning of time. And it's going to continue straight ahead until somebody up there turns out the lights on this small planet. Can you dig
6: it?
4: Yeah, yeah, I can dig it, yeah.
6: You know, the other thing, too, to sort of balance off the pimps is the black militants. So, of course, there there are Black Panthers in here as well. If there's one thing that's missing, maybe you can remind me because I don't don't remember this, is maybe like a whole thing with like the church. Like that's the one thing that's missing. Like you don't have some like minister, you know, um, you know what I'm talking about?
5: Right, kind of a Cotton Comes to Harlem kind of yeah.
6: thing. Or, yeah, or I think that was in... Detroit 9000 as well.
5: Detroit 9000. I think it might have been in Hitman as well, where it's like the church is kind of a front for nefarious activities. No, that one isn't in here. So they, they that's the one area that they they didn't have in there, but they sure hit a lot of other notes.
6: Maybe they'll put that in the sequel.
5: <laughs> right. <laughs> Black or Dynamite! Dynamite, Dynamite. Yeah, and then that the whole thing kind of hinges on this three the hard way type plot. You know, we're we're going along. I like that they keep it kind of subtle as well. Like the movie starts with a commercial for this Anaconda malt liquor, which kind of reminded me of the Bomb from Bamboozled when we talked about it. And the Anaconda malt liquor kind of weaves its way through the story until we finally find out that that's the nefarious plot of the government to actually shrink the penises of the black men. It's not as strong as um three the hard way where they're going to poison the water supply and kill all the black people but it's almost worse in some <laughs> ways.
6: Well, especially the one guy who has it happen to him and it's like, "Do you want us to kill you? Do you want us to kill you?"
5: That scene and that they just keep zooming in on his penis.
1: <laughs> that little tiny
6: penis. Do you want to keep do you want to keep living? Do you uh, really? Do you want do you want us to kill you? It's okay.
5: And that whole logic scene where they're trying to figure out what the code Kansas is so brilliant, which is
6: an obvious pull on so many like detective movies, (laughs) you know, even Sherlock Holmes is like that at times where it's like, well, this means this and that means that and that means this, 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 this. And it's like, huh?
5: And Aries spelled backwards.
6: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. The other thing that's, that's funny about the film and I'm sure this is a way for them to not only infuse the look of that era, but to save money at the same time, is that a lot of the car chases and effects shots are pulls from stock libraries And I don't even know if they pulled footage from other films because it does look – some of it looks familiar. If I'm remembering, um, there's like at least one or two car chases and then this thing with the helicopter. And all of that looks like that it was pulled from some other source.
5: Yeah, I was reading online and it seems like they were pulling stuff from different um, TV shows a lot like uh, Charlie's Angels and Police Woman. But they also had some missing in action, especially in the uh, scenes on Kung Fu Island. Okay where we've got the the guys just i don't know if you had a chance to watch the outtakes on the dvd but there's there's great scenes of uh like bullhorn and cream corn going on the island and they'll just like move their machine guns back and forth and then they'll cut to like missing in action and all these vietnamese guys dying and (laughs) which
6: which, which i thought was stock footage taken from a lot of the filipino uh corman films is what i thought was where they got that stuff
5: yeah it's got that same look and everything and that age is perfect i mean some of the stock footage actually fits in really well just because the the way that the the film is shot on this um, reversal uh, stock is great you know it just looks so old so often and then the stock footage isn't like you know this glaring thing when it comes in either like the the whole thing you're right with black dynamite picking up the car with the magnet and everything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I love that he's laughing in that scene and cut to him still laughing in the next scene. <laughs>
6: <laughs> the, um, the the other thing that's great about the film too, because that this was always a big part of those films, is the music, and they do such a nice job with with the music. and And I don't think it was one of those sort of um, Tarantino kind of let's pull from other soundtracks kind of thing. I think they actually had somebody sit down and write the music for this thing. And of course that sting that pops up from time to time that's just infectious and hilarious. Not all my time.
5: Yeah, this was all original music, and from what I've read also, that the guy who did that, Adrian Young, he used older equipment and everything just to keep that same sound, like made it all analog, so it's not digital recording.
6: Yeah, like old synthesizers. And...
5: Yeah, because it fits in perfectly. And I love, there are so many songs that while we're watching the action the song is basically saying what's happening in the movie <laughs>
6: <laughs> I'm always reminded of that scene in um, Basketball that's sort of similar where he gets in the car and he puts the tape on and he's like
5: Your life
3: is spinning out of control Seems the whole world is out to get you Everything is wrong Nothing seems right. There's a
1: sinking feeling inside it Even your best friend has turned his back But you can't let it bring you down No, you've got to fight it Cause you try but you can't let go It's when you're down that you gotta get up Don't let them walk all over your face Stand up for yourself and make everything right again. Even if some guy's trying to blackmail you and your girlfriend thinks you suck, it's up to you to let them know that it was all just part of some rich guy's evil plan.
8: Look out ahead! There's
1: a truck changing lanes. You've got some yellow crumbs on your upper lip, and those warts on your dick aren't gonna go away unless you start using topical cream every day.
6: And <laughs> you know, like the lyrics are <laughs> like the whole plot of
5: the film. <laughs> Michael Jai White. I mean, really, all the performances are completely fearless, like you mentioned, but he is so dead on in all of it. And just, he embodies that black action hero perfectly.
6: And him doing the kung fu stuff is really nothing new because if you go back, if you're a trauma fan, uh, Michael Jai White was in Toxic Avenger 2 and 3. Uh, he has a smaller part in 2 and 3. It's a little bigger. He actually has some lines. But in Toxie 2, he actually is this sort of Jim Kelly character that fights Toxie in, uh, in karate. So it's kind of funny that you know, when we see him in this, it's, you know, obviously he's been studying this for at least 20 years or so at this point.
5: He's got such an interesting career. I mean, he's been in so many bad movies. <laughs> And it's like, you know, no offense to him, but he just – it's like he was recently in um, Android Cop, which was kind of the Asylum's version of RoboCop. So he's in these really bad things, but at the same time, he shows up in really good things as well. It's like, you know, he shows up in the second Dark Knight film, and I'm looking at the guy – he can change his looks so, so readily. It's like, I'll look at him in different things. I'll be like, is that the same guy? Yeah. Is that really him? And even with this, I mean, they shot a, a preview for black dynamite. Well, before they, um, did the actual shooting in the movie and looking at him in that, like his hair is slightly different and, you know, his mustache is bigger and everything. I'm just like, is that really him?
6: I think he's a pretty great actor. He just, uh, deserves better stuff.
5: He does. And I kind of, I wish that Spawn would have taken off a lot more. I think his career would have been a little bit different had that become a much more successful film, but he's still out there just plugging away. And it's great that he was also one of the co-writers on this thing. And this was kind of like his baby. So to see this, to see Black Dynamite come to fruition in such a, a brilliant way and that it's still going on, you know, that it's out there in graphic novel form, it's out there as a TV show and you know those are are great as well i watched quite a few of the animated shows and those are freaking hilarious too
6: you're also saying that there's a um, that black dynamite did gravity before gravity
5: oh yeah yeah black dynamite was trapped out in space he uh, was supposed to be the co-pilot on a mission to the moon with oj simpson <laughs> and O.J. backed out all of a sudden, like he ran away from the ship and Black Dynamite gets sent out into space and the, the ship explodes. And then, yeah, he has to get to the Soviet space station. So he uses his big, uh, what is that, like it's got like a 357 Magnum or whatever <laughs> and shoots his way over to the uh, the Russian space station before he uh, goes to the moon with one of the Soviet space monkeys. They make a lot of references to the movie in there because there's one part where he gets so mad he throws a rock at the Earth and then eventually that kills OJ (laughs) or, like, disables him. And he does the line of, I threw that shit before I left the moon! (laughs) (laughs)
6: where's the the cartoon showing where is it
5: that's over on adult swim okay
6: so yeah it seems like an adult swim kind of
5: thing it's totally an adult swim thing yeah and they do it in this kind of like uh anime type style where the action scenes have those like moving lines behind them and everything and just the way that the characters are drawn they kind of have that look to them but yeah it's it's brilliant stuff
6: when i think about it in terms of michael jai white and you know what he should be given you know what i think would be an excellent part for him and he can do it because he has the physicality is there's been a lot of talk about possibly doing a power man movie Mm. and those who might not know power man luke cage which is where nicholas cage gets his last name uh stage name is a 1970s uh marvel hero comic book character and he's Basically like a black Superman in a way. Except he doesn't fly. He just is really strong and stuff. And So there's been a lot of talk from time to time of doing a Power Man, a Luke Cage movie. But uh, I don't think they've got it off the drawing board yet. But I think Michael Jai White could do it.
5: Yeah, he would be brilliant as it. He probably would have been a good Blade had not Wesley Snipes taken that role. But I could see him in that. I could also see him if they ever... Did that retelling of um, the first Captain America,
6: Captain America Truth, where about the story about the the Black uh, Super Soldier, yeah, or
5: even just the Black Panther superhero yeah. that they had for a long time, Yeah. which I still think is brilliant that they had a superhero called Black Panther <laughs> back when Marvel wasn't afraid to to stir it up a little bit. That's right, stir it up, kids. You, know, you were talking about the whole thing with the uh, stock footage and the, the rear projection and everything. There's a scene on the DVD that isn't included in the movie, and I'm very curious if they would have used it this way or not. But they have this woman who's basically playing a um, Cleopatra Jones character. And behind her, she's driving the whole time, and they've got the rear projection going, and you can actually see the time code on the footage as it's going by, and I'm wondering if they would have left that had they left the scene in there. (laughs) (laughs) Because at first, I'm just like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, oh, okay, it's the time code, but I don't know if that would have been true to the era, because that's one of the things I like about this movie, is just how true to the 70s everything is even down to like the telephones yeah
6: it doesn't play in this sort of like we're in the 70s but we're still in the you know 2010s or whatever or the 2000s it it definitely goes all in to try and play in that era where you could put this film next to the other ones and besides a few you know things that make it a little goofier and as we we're saying kind of parody it still holds up as something that's still within the canon it's not like it's it, it, it To me, it doesn't feel like it. it's hating on, for lack of a better uh, term. It doesn't feel like it's hating on Uh because sometimes parody films feel like they want to like beat the hell out of the source material. The, they don't like the source material, so that's why they're making fun of it. This, to me, seems like it very much loves the source material, but still wants to have fun at some of the absurdity that was in it.
5: Yeah, it feels very much like a love letter to that era. You're right. It doesn't feel like they're making fun of it. And I'm glad that they didn't do the whole marketing thing, too, where they're like, oh, we found this lost film from 1973. And look at this. Because I've seen stuff like that before. And it just most of the time, I'd say 99% of the time, it just doesn't work. And it becomes so gimmicky. But I love that. I mean, I mentioned before that trailer that was preceded the film where they actually took scenes from old black exploitation films and cut Michael Jai White into them. <laughs> and it was brilliant, you know, the way that they put that together. And when they came up with the marketing for this film, they did so many things the right way. They had this whole site about fight smack in the orphanage, uh, Fisto. <laughs> and they have a website out there for it and they have all these PSAs that people made and that the filmmakers made themselves so like Chocolate Giddy Up talking about smacking the community and everything
0: (laughs) yeah
2: I love nougat too oh hello my name is Chocolate Giddy Up and I'm a pimp that's what I do I only do two things really well in this world one take money from bitches Two, I sell drugs in the community, but one day I saw a scene that hurt my heart. A little child outside an orphanage asking me for a fix. Lips so cracked they look like the Grand Canyon. I gave the little one some lip balm which I let her keep cause she was nasty. Damn,
1: damn, damn!
2: Then I took her to Fight Smack in the Orphanage, where they have all kinds of preschool drug counseling and methadone. Now I only do one thing well in this world, because I don't sell drugs no more.
3: Ah! Ah! Fight Smack in the Orphanage!
5: They did a lot of right things for this one.
6: Man, I need a fix. I like the little kid when he goes to the orphanage. I'm going to have to put those ladies back out on the street. I don't care.
5: Yeah, there was one other outtake that I almost wish they would have left in. It was uh, a little kid coming up to Black Dynamite and offering to watch his car and then doing the whole, I want to be just like you, Black Dynamite, and Black Dynamite just goes off the rails. (laughs) Totally reminded (laughs) me of Goldie from the Mac. (laughs) So good. And, yeah, even in the uh, the trailer, this fake trailer for the film, they had uh, the car from Candy Tangerine Man driving down the street. I was like, oh, this is so good. All right. So let's go ahead. We're going to take a break and play an interview with director and co-writer Scott Sanders and actor and co-writer Byron Minz, Bullhorn himself.
8: Hey, all you podcast listeners. Here's an update. See, here. we know some of that bad brown bass that has been going around but we've got an alternative see here have these headphones here throw them on see here movies for your mind
9: see here
4: see here podcast we discuss music related films once a month find us on itunes or at see here that's s e e h e a r .podbean.com
8: just relax Listen, float downstream.
1: See here.
4: Here. If you listened to Proudly Resents, the cult movie podcast, you would know how to properly crush a head.
3: But let's say you want to crush a head like Toxic Avenger or the famous full head crushing scene. You take a cantaloupe carve out the inside. Then you load what we call loading the cantaloupe. We used to put in hamburger mixed with cranberry sauce, but now because I'm a vegetarian, it's only cranberry and spaghetti and things that are not animal. Then you put a wig on the cantaloupe and paint a little happy face. Bingo.
4: That was Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Films. To hear more interviews and reviews, go to proudlyresents.com or find proudlyresents. On iTunes and Stitcher.
5: Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Josh and we're the hosts of the Devil's Advocates podcast. Each week, we discuss the most controversial topics and debate them in a civilized discourse. Subjects such as cultural and racial relations. Hey. Marlon is not scary. He's not scary to us because he's in a well-lit room in the middle of the day. Women's issues and the right to choose. I'm in the abortion clinic. I won. What's wrong with abortion? They're not going to know. The right to bear arms. The police get a different standard than we get. Because they have to fucking fight crime all day. The importance of love and family.
6: He was fucking my mouth
8: and it hit my gag (laughs) reflex. We've had guests on our show ranging from comedians like Jared Harris of Action Figure Therapy. What fucking rights have been taken away from me today? To
5: adult film stars like AVN Performer of the Year, Aurora Snow.
8: This is Aurora Snow, and you're listening to The Devil's Advocates.
3: Find the show online at WeAreTheDevilsAdvocates.com, my niggas. And for even more of their ignorant-ass shit, go to their Facebook page at Facebook.com slash
5: WeAreTheDevilsAdvocates. Listen to The Devil's Advocates podcast today. It'll leave you more satisfied than I leave my wife.
1: Intense, strong orgasms mm-hmm. are the ones that I give to myself. <clears throat>
5: like,
1: I'm like, damn it!
5: <laughs> Where did the story idea come from?
10: Well, it, it, it
7: started out with uh, Mike, uh, Michael Jai White, listening to um, his iPod on the set of a film. He was uh, listening to James Brown Super Bad and got this vision of this super 70s cat who was super bad. He mentioned it to Scott, and he mentioned it to me, and, and kind of told us what he was feeling
10: about it, and it, it just developed from there.
5: How did you guys meet? How do you know each other?
10: Me and Mike, uh, Byron is an old friend of Mike's. I think they knew each other growing up, right? Uh, not growing
7: up, but for quite some time, yeah. We've been
10: friends for a long, long time. Yeah, I, me and Byron basically met through this um, but me and Mike had done a movie together called Thickest Sea starring Alec Baldwin uh in nineteen ninety eight, which was also at Sundance. So that's how we knew each other. We just kinda you know, we had a good uh relationship on you know, from that and just, you know, just kinda seeing what he was up to and then that's how I found out he actually had a picture of himself as the character was called Super Bad at the time, but uh as the character in the blue suit that he wears at the end of the movie. In the scene in the White House. So that like for me, as soon as, you know, we saw that, or at least I saw it, I was like, okay, well. <laughs> sounds interesting. <laughs> so Kendrick, <laughs> it was a, actually this thing. It's like a, a... There's this episode of the Brady Bunch where uh, Greg becomes a rock star and they keep Oh, yeah, saying, he had the suit. Yeah. yeah. And they kept saying, <laughs> he fits the suit. He right. He fits the suit, and that's why they wanted to make him a rock star. That was my gut feeling with that Brady Bunch episode. Like, he fits the suit. Like, he... He looks exactly like one of those guys. It's not like jokey or anything. You know? Right. Like he looks like one of them or more like them than even the original guy. And and I think that's what kinda of set the tone for the movie that we weren't gonna just do something that was like really goofy. You know what I mean? It was I mean the movie's goofy, or whatever, but it's goofy in a way that's in in that it's kind of really, really particular goofy. about details. <laughs> <laughs> not goofy in a way that it's like, oh, Black Dynamite has like you know, a 20-inch Afro wig, you know? And he's not skinny, you know? I mean, he's actually like an ass-ticking dude like those guys were.
5: Yeah, what did you guys think of stuff like, um, you know, I'm Gonna Get You Suck and that kind of more of a parody-type film?
7: I mean, those were funny for what what they were. I mean, I thought that was funny, but it wasn't what we set out to do. I mean, that's just a totally different thing. I mean, you know, I mean, when we looked at it, we looked at it from the point of view of these radical writers who were trying to make the best movie that they could make. Unfortunately, they weren't able to 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 hit all of the uh <laughs> make all the marks that they were setting out to make but you know um they wanted to make a serious film and so you know we we, we treated it as such, which is you know why black like dynamite you know it came off as black like dynamite as opposed to you know, I'm going to get you sucker.
10: I think our movie's like the first real, whatever, riff on black exploitation. I think those movies are, have blaxploitation elements, but I, I, you know, I, th- I think if, if you're going to really riff on it, it can, I mean, riff on it as a genre, really, it has to be set in the time when it occurs. It's not saying it's better or worse. It's just saying that like, it's not a complete comment. Those aren't, those are commentaries on other things because they're just set in different time periods and like, I always, we, you know, we, we would, when we were making the movie, it's like, we were really specific about years, you know, because I think mm-hmm. the black expectation time was a really brief time, you know. It was, just, it was a brief, you know, era. And so I, I think it's really super time-specific.
7: Which made it so special in that we had someone like Adrian Young that was able to, to bring the music with that authenticity. And, of course, you know, uh, all of us with the original vision, and then Scott, with the the you know the director's vision to be able to take and 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 shoot it in the way that he shot it so that it would look like an authentic 70s film. It was a lot. It was a lot of love, you know, involved
10: in that. Yeah, we were all pretty particular about it, and and kind of would check each other on stuff like that. You know, like uh, I remember sometimes, like Adrian, you know, would say stuff like, "Well, that, uh, you know, that's really 1978. You're doing there, which means it was out of its frame." You know.
5: What was the writing process like for this? I mean, how? Who came up with what? And and what was it like, just kind of getting the whole idea together?
10: I thought it came together pretty quickly. I always say this: it's like I think I was going in the wrong direction. <laughs> it was really jokey, you know. I was coming up with like jokier stuff, but stuff that wasn't seventy specific. And, and Byron and, and and Mike were really focused on the time period. And so, like you know, once I saw that that was happening, you know, you know, I was throwing my two cents in in the right direction. But it, it was, I you know, I really do give them credit for like holding it down and keeping the tone. What it was like—the jokes were very. They were very serious about keeping the jokes specific to the moment. The writing process got done pretty quickly, I think. At least the first draft yeah. did. You know, there were some changes along the way, but I think, uh, I think the nut of it came together fairly quickly.
7: We stayed on top of each other in terms of the tone of it all
5: the time. Did you guys kind of do like a? almost like a straight-up action flick first and then add the jokes to it or just kind of pepper those in while you're going along?
7: No, you know, it, it was like the, the the very beginning, I mean, the the first thing we, I, I can tell you this we we had a discussion uh, all, all three of us and we basically talked about the overview of the whole film you know, and we talked about specific moments we talked about Nixon and we talked about their involvement and in the, the, the politics of it there was one thing in particular that that really set that kicked it off, which was when Mike and I were talking about who we thought Black Dynamite was and whatever, and we started talking about this this, this scene, this opening scene, and this was even before we we came up with the the scene in the uh, in the warehouse yard or whatever with the mafia. Basically, it was the line about um, when a woman gives him a compliment and he says, "Mama."
2: You're going to wake up the rest of the
7: bitch. That right there was the thing that kind of gave us the idea of who he was right there. And then from there, you know, it just, as, as we began to tell the story, the jokes would just kind of find their way in. Because we, we, we because it kind of wrote itself in that way because we knew that as, as these writers, and we put ourselves and cast ourselves in these characters as these radical writers and the director, that, you know, everything that we were doing, you know, w- was designed for some type of effect. And then we would, the backfire would happen within these these moments. Like, we already, you know, forecasted that the mic would drop down in the middle of his soliloquy. And, you know, and, and so those kind of things, as we would just go along and tell a story, these things would just show up in our heads, and, and you know, we would just say, yeah, that's it.
5: That's, you know, that's the way to go. What films really kind of helped inspire this one for you guys. And, and did you grow up watching black exploitation films? You know
10: what? I actually, it was a little after my time. I mean, I kind of watched them later. But what I did remember seeing, my friend's father would take us to the movies and I would see the trailers for them. The way the trailers are cut, um, and that also influenced our fake trailer, the one we made before we even did the script. You really got the tone because, like, you know, the actor Adolf Caesar was, like, the narrator for all of those trailers, you know, from the soldier story. He was the guy who, who narrated, like, pretty much every Blaxploitation trailer. And so it was something about his style that was very... It just gave it a really good framework. And I don't know, I think it also influenced me directing it because it's almost like... I think we thought of it as one... Big trailer in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because if you watch a black exploitation movie, there's a lot of slow parts. You know, I think that's just how movies were made in the 70s when they didn't have, you know, linear editing systems or whatever. Like, you had to do it on a flatbed. So they just, you know, oh, like, you know, super flies walk into his car, he puts the keys in, and then he drives away. Like, you know, they have a lot of things that fill up time in it. You know, we try to, in a lot of ways, try to make the movie every black exploitation movie. Chop out all the good, like, it's a black exploitation. You should mixtape exactly and then uh mike and i grew up watching
7: them now you know that was my every saturday for as long as they were around so i i almost saw i'd say probably at least 80 percent of those films when they were first released so i had that in my head so the more, the moment that mike started to talk to me about it that was just released you know, we would talk about the, the different iconic moments in these films and, you know, and we just kind of chose the ones that we thought were, you know, we could serve the best. And, and like, say, for instance, the pimp scene from Willie Dynamite. And we did our, our version of that with all the, that great cast, you know, in moments like that.
5: So I imagine that Mike was pretty much always going to be Black Dynamite. Obviously, he, he fit the suit, as it were.
8: Then what do you need me for? Because you fit the suit.
5: Byron, were you always gonna be in the movie where was the bullhorn character pretty early on?
7: You know what? Originally, no. I, I honestly came into this thinking as a writer. When I was doing it, I, I, I never thought of myself as doing bullhorn. I just I really focused on black dynamite. You know, that was really trying to get Black like, Dynamite right, get those words in his mouth. And so that was my main focus during it. And then somewhere during the process, and this, this was actually before, actually before, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if this was before we had our, our meeting, Scott, but whatever the case, though, there was a point in the, in the bungalow where I was talking to Mike about Bullhorn, and I said, this is the way he should sound, and, you know, and this is what he would do. And I, I kind of did the little imitation of Ruby Ray Moore and just kind of whatever. And after a while, I, and I kept doing it, and then Mike was like, you got to do it. And I was like, well, yeah, that I was it. Maybe so and so would do it, you know. Maybe so. He's like, oh man, are you kidding? Just you, you can just do it, you know. So I was like, okay, you
5: know. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that you talk like that in real life, but
7: <laughs> <laughs> I debated on your voice would go
0: It'd
5: Be tough coming up with rhymes for all these, uh, you know, interview questions. <laughs> I love going through and kind of picking out some of the references and stuff that you guys are making. And I love that you don't have to know where those references are coming from or that they are references to still enjoy the film. It's just this kind of like nice bonus that you're giving folks that are fans of this stuff. That was
7: a thing that that, that was a great, a great source of pleasure for us too because, you know, in, the, in the initially there was a, a moment where we said, you know what, you know, is this too genre specific? Are people going to be able to get it? And, you know, and then, you know, then we just decided, you know, funny is funny. So as long as we are honest and, and, and funny about what we do, I, I think, you know, th- those who get it will get it. And hopefully those who, who don't will still laugh. And I'm glad that you that feel that way.
5: I mean, as soon as the where is Bucky and what has he had line came up, I was like, <laughs> these guys are so with it.
0: <laughs> that
5: was
7: Mike's love. That was Mike's love. I think that was... That was his favorite line from Dolomite or something like that, yeah. And that was for yeah, uh, uh, that. Disco Godfather.
10: <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, so crazy about Avenger Disco Godfather uh, is <laughs> how late that movie was made. That movie was made in 1979. Like, Blacksploitation had been over. <laughs> but like, Drew and Moore, it was just like an older dude. Like, he was still kind of stuck in it. Yeah. Like it was weird. I mean, you're well into almost like the end of disco <laughs> and everything and he's still making a black exploitation movie. That was actually I think uh, Avenging Disco Godfather is an unintentional black exploitation movie. I don't even think he was he was intending to make one. I think he was intending to make Saturday Night Fever. I could totally see that. You know, but I mean Saturday Night Fever. <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> well, yeah it's got that horrible downer ending and everything i mean it's just
10: and then uh bucky is shown up right oh uh, yeah St. Curry, that's right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
5: where did you guys get some of those actors that ended up being the pimps in there i mean seeing arsenio and uh what is john sally and those guys show up how did, how did that come about
7: uh friends you know um friends with Mike mostly and you know and guys that we know were were, you know, heard what was going on and there was a lot of guys that had, had, had uh, and uh and girls who had heard what we were doing and, and wanted to be a part of it. It you know, it sounded fun for a lot of people and so a lot of those guys ended up there just get to, to support.
5: Was there ever times where you had to tell people like, you know, you're you're pushing a little too far because you guys are so careful about that line that you're walking when it comes to outright parody versus, you know, more of a serious kind of thing with a comic edge to it what's how how conscious did you have to make people of that
7: for the most part almost everyone got it i mean and you know so there wasn't a whole lot of that but if the if it needed to happen mike was definitely present and and he was he was the keeper of the line cuz he had a clear vision of it
10: it really happened very rarely But yeah. you know what? i mean, I, mean people... I think you know having dealt with other things like where it's a rare I don't know. I think maybe it's just, you know, the way, you know, we had all set it up and the structure of it and just the alchemy of the movie. It was really yeah. clear what it was supposed to be. And I think the, the actors felt it and knew yeah. it. And, and, and here's the thing that Mike did, which I thought was really great. And it's something to always think about. I mean, certainly certain well, of this kind of movie, is that he made a, a video and would always show it to people. And it had all these moments in it from all these black television right. movies. You know, you would just, like, at the pimp meetings, like, okay, just everybody just watch this, just so you guys kind of feel it, you know? And I thought that was really helpful, and and obviously, I'll give an example, too. uh, You know, like, John Sally and Brian McKnight, you know? (laughs) I I mean, they just, you know, they're not really guys who are known for their acting, and I thought they just nailed that shit. Like, they just totally were in the moment, you know? For sure. So, I don't, I I just, it it just seemed to all kind of come together in a right sort of way.
5: When you guys kind of look back on black exploitation, because I know some people even have problems with the term black exploitation, I, I take it that you guys don't. But when you look back at, at those films, do you see them as being exploitative or do you just see it as being kind of an opportunity for black actors at the time? How do you guys kind of, that era and that genre?
0: I, I think
7: it was a combination of both. I think what it was, especially with the start of, of the exploitation, uh, quote-unquote, uh, genre being Shaft, a film being made by a renaissance man, Gordon Park. It definitely was an attempt at good black filmmaking. And then there were some films that followed that, that also had, you know, good actors and, and, and tried to say something like the Mac and, and even Superfly and, and it, even though they dealt with you know uh, crime dramas and I mean uh, uh, crime elements and stuff like that they still had you know a message and there were you know solid actors in the film and then what what you know as you know and, and when art meets commerce you know it It basically became a thing where now it's discovered that these urban movies will make us, you know, will make money and Hollywood was going through what they were going through at the time. And it was just something to exploit, you know, which is, you know, pretty much no different than any
10: other era. When I first saw things, it was probably like in the 80s, you know, and so I'm looking at trailers for Coffee and Foxy Brown and, you know, they're pretty ridiculous, (laughs) you know what I mean? you know, most of my experiences were, were, with it were research, you know, based on this. And, you know, just ha- having seen some of the trailers and, you know, a lot of the movies before. I think it's just one of those things where, like, the exploitative part of it is just the fact that they were making money. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, the movie that made me think about the, your question is this movie called um, Mean Mother. It was basically an Italian movie, right? And then they, they just added like a couple of exploitation parts To it, and there's about two guys. I think I forgot what it. Maybe it was me, mother. But they like literally added like a couple of like a black dude in it just so they could re-release this Italian movie. They added this Italian guy. He knew, and then they just cut to an Italian movie. Like it was. I remember watching this in the the course of doing this. I was like, this is insane. You know, like
7: (laughs) yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. They had gotten to the point where they were doing Doctor Black and Mister Hyde, and you know, Black Yellow and Black Godfather and Black Caesar and Black,
10: you know, Blacky Black Plat. Black, 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 you know, it was just. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a one called Soul Sisters Revenge. What was it? Soul Sisters Revenge? You ever see that one? The Booker Bear one? Yeah. I, I mean, there's so many of them in the woodwork, like really crappy ones. <laughs> yeah, no, there's tons of those. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mean Mother was a Spanish film called Run for Your Life. Okay, and, and then they just and he decided the American audiences wouldn't see it, so they re-edited it and added some footage with black actors in it and called it Mean Mother." <laughs> so yeah, I mean that that was just like we're just trying to you know this was like people like oh let's just make money off of it, so it's like the right. quality just starts I, going down to this like this this ridiculous just, level.
7: Yeah, I mean if you really looked at it though, the the audiences that were going to see these things before this time, I mean, we there were no black films. I mean, you would occasionally see, you know, some black actors on television here and there. And you know, a couple of popular shows, maybe like Bill Cosby's show way back then, and maybe Julia. But other than that, you really didn't see very much in a couple of comedians like Flip Wilson. So, you know, these films were huge in in, in these areas. So, you know, they could basically sneak anything into the film
10: as long as they, you know, did the trailers right. Which I think is actually like an American thing, which is like, I, I've noticed this in a lot of things. Like, if there's something in America that people will reflexively go see, then it will instantly become shitty. Because <laughs> there will be some... There, 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 somebody's going to just boil it down to its lowest common denominator market with just garbage. Like, that can be music or anything. It's just like, you know, it. it, it that's why we have to keep coming up with new things. Because we, we, we reductively turn it into its lowest common denominator. It's like, Oh well let's take this Italian movie and put some black people in it. Call me mother. Okay, there you
7: go. <laughs> right, right, there you go. That that's the crack of the black exploitation world.
5: <laughs> so Scott, you're saying that you kinda came to this stuff late, you watched a lot of trailers and stuff. When did you finally start watching the the full features?
10: Um I, I watched the, like I I was going through this whole process where I was watching all these I came to a lot of movies very weird. Like like I started to get into movies off movies a while ago and it was like I was watching like John Waters movies right like all these John Waters <laughs> movies and then I start wa- like I would see all the John Waters movies before I saw The Godfather so the, these Blacks were t- the, yeah exactly <laughs> like I, I saw movies backwards like I didn't see like a lot of the classics first I would see, and so this was part of that. Like, this was pretty soon into that just because this kind of stuff amused me. But then I didn't remember them, so I had to go back and, like, look at them again, you know, when we got into it. But I did see a lot of them, you know, like the Mac and, you know. Superfly, and also I love the music because I'm a I'm a big music dude. So like a, a lot of it was just we we always said a lot of these movies almost a huge portion of them the the soundtracks are better than the movies.
7: For one, Shaft, and that was the most phenomenal sou- soundtrack ever with, with Isaac Hayes. So, once again, Superfly and Curtis Mayfield and that great soundtrack, Willie Hutch, and The Mac. But then there were some films that are not considered uh, black exploitation, but that were my favorites, like The River Niger, starring um, James Earl Jones, and Cornbread Earl and Me, with Rosalind Cash and and uh, Thalmus Rasulullah and a young Larry Fishburne who played uh, yeah, and like Jamal Wilkes, Keith Wilkes playing uh, the other basketball stars. So you know, I, there were a lot of films. I mean, I I just enjoyed the, the whole era of them.
5: One of the things that really impressed me with Black Dynamite was the original trailer. Did you use that kind of as a marketing thing, like um, to to get funding? How was that? How did that come into play?
10: When Mike showed me the picture of himself, me and uh, Adrian Young actually made just like a, a early early trailer, which I don't even know where that one was, <laughs> just to show him that we could make a trailer. And then he's like, okay, I'll make a trailer with you. So then there was the second pre-trailer. We just shot it, like, on Super 8. It's like, let's just make it look raw and gritty. And, and we had, like, all these cuts from other movies. I mean, and, uh, you know, Adrian Young, who did the music, also cut it. You know, he was also the editor of the film. And we would just cut in things from other movies. And, you know, we we would make, like, stick of dynamite out of sparklers and have them you know, throw it and then have an explosion land on the other side from another movie. It was and fantastic. So just, <laughs> <laughs> and so we I remember uh I showed it to uh John Steingart who, you know, ended up financing financing the movie and we had worked together, we're also really good friends and, and he was like, Well why are you just showing me this trailer from a black floatation movie? And I was like, "That's Mike." He was like on Ticket fees before, and he's like, "Oh my god, okay, let's make it." <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I mean, it was it was one of those things where you know, once people kind of got the feel, it, I think they also saw the trailer and they get the feel for it. They really get it, you know. They get, oh, yeah. okay, this is what you're going for. And I, I think a lot of times it's very hard to do on a movie like people understanding what the tone is, especially if the tone is something very specific but I think we were really fortunate in that that was, there were there were a lot of people uh, involved in holding down that tone, and that's what it was. And so even, I mean, even in the course of making, you know, I mean, the movie had a of, we had to do lots of cuts and lots of things, but it was always, we could always kind of veer towards the right thing. We knew what we were supposed to be doing, which is, I think, it has to amuse, you know, it has to keep moving and amuse, but be in a certain vein. And yeah. and so I think that's kind of how it just kind of played out.
7: Yeah, and and literally going back to what Scott said earlier, you know, in uh, dealing with the whole alchemy of it, it just. It moved throughout the whole thing. So in the making of it, when it came to set designers, costume designers, everybody was just so in tune. Even, you know, someone like Sally Richardson coming in. And I don't even know that, you know, uh, aside from her watching, you know, uh, Pam Greer, you know, really had a, a huge discussion with us about, you know, the tone of it. But she just immediately, you know, locked into Mike and, and, and played her role perfectly. So it just you know, just that we just had that vibe. We had that magic.
5: I love the the woman that played um, Queen Bee. Oh yeah,
7: oh, yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> the whole thing where like her eyes are so teary at the beginning that I love that.
7: <laughs> Kim yes. That was a little homage hey, to Lady Reed, Lady Reed and uh Dola and, yeah dolomite
10: you make me so happy, yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the we- uh, that uh, yeah that oh my God, that scene in dolomite is insane that's it, i mean it's just that you know it's just the rhythms of the scene i mean it's it's such outside their art, you know, like it'll be hard to do that scene, i mean you know we're just kind of playing with that scene, but i mean the the rhythms of it are so odd. Uh, that's my uh, The warden. <laughs> the warden is there. Yeah, I'm saying it like Jolomite. Uh, the warden's there and Queen, he's like, why am I here? And, I just, yeah, and like, yeah. the whole plot is so strange. Like, the warden wants him to come out and stop the yeah. drugs in the street, which is never mentioned ever again. To right. prove kind of himself we, innocent. Yeah.
7: yeah. <laughs> Because Queen Bee told the warden he was innocent,
10: yeah. Yeah, I think that's what, that's what we did, too. Because it's like, after we mentioned Bucky and the drugs in the street, we never really say anything more about
7: it. <laughs> yeah, well, we, do, we track the drugs down. We stop the drugs from coming into the community. We just don't mention Bucky anymore.
5: Oh, yeah, we mentioned <laughs> drugs, but Bucky
10: just falls
7: apart. Yeah, Bucky, that, yeah, that was...
5: Scott, how did you get that really, you know, kind of grainy 70s look for the film?
10: There's a uh, Jim Brown movie called Black Dunn, and it was like 1972. It was really, you know, like, you know, these film stocks, you know, they change from year to year, and, every, you know, movies look a little bit different from year to year, depending on what Kodak was doing at the time. Um, and uh, I was just looking at that movie, and I, and I had this thought, like, I was like, you know what, I want it to look old, but I don't want it to look like... Some plug in where you just put fake scratches on it. Like, I wanted it to look like a pristine copy that still looked old. You know what I mean? Because I think some of that kind of put on old is just phony, you know? Like, there's too many scratches and, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, they were just, I just don't like the plugins look. I talked to uh, Sean Mauer, and he's like, we should shoot this color reversal. And uh, I was like, and so we did some tests, and it just, it was so, the color reversal was ridiculous because it was like, it's, it it so makes a crazy bold choice and like the blacks are just deep blacks and you don't have any latitude so you know people always want options when they shoot stuff and when we were shooting this stuff there really was no i mean when we went into the uh into the you know the colorist came in he's like you know this you're stuck with this and i was like yeah we know you know <laughs> but um and on the first day i mean they processed it really Contrasty, and there was nothing we could do about it. But it, it you know, some of the most beautiful stuff looks, you know, was on that first day. But it was really interesting too because um, I don't even think they make Kodak doesn't even make that film anymore. So we couldn't even do it this way again unless we. I just did some research on this, um, unless we got some film from a specific place in Germany now. Like they don't even have it anymore. Mm-hmm. But the people who processed it was uh, a, a Mormon company, and they don't like processing nudity or anything. So on the days with nudity, it was actually color negative. So on the day we had all the porn stars and black dynamites having sex with three women, women at once, that's color negative.
5: <laughs> How did the TV show come about?
7: As far as I know, Carl Jones, uh, who was uh, the executive of, uh, executive producer or co-executive producer of the Boondocks at the time, had gotten, uh, I guess, a copy of black dynamite I guess he had watched it and became a fan of it and then somehow or another they ended up in contact with uh, John Steingart and you know and they, they talked to John Steingart about doing an animated version of it you know, John loved the idea and brought it to us and, and we thought it would be great a, a great you know a great genre to for, for to, to explore for to explore the world of black dynamite and so that's what we did we all had a hand in, in writing um, episodes throughout the seasons, and you know now we're in our second season.
5: I love the look of it, and I love that it's you know so many of the original voices that it's not you know somebody imitating bullhorn and it's not somebody imitating black dynamite that it's you guys actually doing the voices
7: yeah no, John was really good with that you know and, and keeping everyone involved and 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 making sure that uh, we kept it authentic. You know, even though we were going into another world, we still wanted to keep, you know, you know, what we started with. And so, you know, that was another thing, you know, um, figuring out what line we were gonna walk with it, you know, although that was a new world for us still and all you know, we and we definitely trusted the expertise of Paul Jones and Ryan Ash at the time, you know, but, but you know, it, it gelled.
10: It gelled. Yeah, it has a a rhythm too, uh it's different too. Like the the uh the Black Dynamite cartoon is another side of the character. It's, it's, it's good that the movies and the, and the cartoon and the comic books both all seem to have their own take that are, that are mm-hmm. slightly different but still part of the same character.
5: Mm-hmm. How was that making that transition from um, writing a you know, feature uh, to writing uh, a half an hour cartoon show?
7: Yeah, that's a definitely an interesting process because the, the the things that you are just used to doing when you're doing a feature, there's so much more time, and your, your storytelling is quite different. So you have to get used to doing, you know, what you would normally do in 100 pages and 20 pages. Yeah, it, it, it was a good process though. It was, it, was, it, was it was fun.
5: Does it give you a little bit of freedom as well, since you don't have to worry about you know budget or special effects or anything?
7: Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, you can go to the moon and and you can pretty much do whatever you want. Which you know, if you if you watch the season, you will see <laughs> we pretty much do whatever we feel like doing. You know, fighting King Kong or you know or giant gorillas and you know. So, yeah, that's the fun part about it.
5: I love the Michael Jackson one.
7: Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was funny. Um,
10: the, the cool thing about I remember that, how that kind of, that was actually, uh, I started off with that idea, but then, like, Carl Jones just took it and he just turned it into just this craziness. Because I remember we had a little meeting and I was like, wouldn't it be funny if, you know, Black Dynamite met Michael Jackson, but Michael Jackson was the one beating his brother. That's all I came up with. And then <laughs> Carl into this whole thing where Michael Jackson was beating his brothers, and he was an alien who then had to get the world acclimated to his real face. Like he just took it in some <laughs> direction and went. <laughs> like,
7: yeah, that was, that was. Yeah, he, he and Brian Ash just went on a trip. Yeah, <laughs> really?
5: yeah. So Black Dynamite, he's he's been in comics. He's on TV, still continuing to be on TV. Any chance for him coming back to the movies?
10: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, we're, we're working on it. I mean, I, you know, yeah. that's, I think
5: it will be happening. Byron, what are you working on these days?
10: Uh, right now, uh, I'm working
7: on uh, a, a few screenplays that, that I've written, and I'm also working on... Like dynamite, too. Black or Black, like a dynamite, yeah. <laughs> working title,
10: working
5: <laughs> title. <laughs> and, Scott, you've got to tell me about Aztec Warrior. That movie sounds amazing from what I've read about it. Just the cast is amazing.
10: The crazy thing about Aztec Warrior is that uh, I just wanted to try something completely out of, you know, in another culture. <laughs> like doing something totally different. And uh, it's been really a, a funny, strange uh, process because uh, in the course of of making the movie, the guy who plays the villain in the movie, Eugenio Derbez, made the biggest selling Spanish movie in the history of America. It was sort of revolutionized, like, you know, Latino cinema. It's called an, uh, Instructions Not Included. So we have all these, like, massively huge stars from Mexico, like him and Omar Chaparro, and it's sort of like it's sort of in the middle of this sort of a Latino film explosion, specifically probably Mexican explosion of, of, of a film. So it's, it's been a real interesting journey with that movie. And it's great working with Louie. He's a great guy. And
5: I was just about to ask, is he as nice in person as he seems like he would be?
10: Yeah, he's, he's adorable. <laughs> like, you know, he's got a big round belly and <laughs> he's fun. It was fun. And, and, Yeah, I'd never been to New Orleans, and so I like, you know, I love, now I love that city, and there's really cool people in the movie, Uh, you know, uh, Nadine Velasquez, who was in Flight, I don't know if you saw the first scene in Flight, where she's with uh, Denzel Washington, but she's really hot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm
5: -hmm.
10: (laughs) She's in the movie, and
5: Terry Crews,
10: who's uh, really great.
5: I love that guy.
10: Oh, yeah, he's great. He he was just a total trooper. It was like 110 degrees, and he's sitting there in, in cowboy boots, and... Vito and a cowboy hat doing cool Louie. I mean, it's just it's just such a. Biz- We're in the middle of the bayou, and he's doing karate in these cowboy boots in 110 degree weather. It was like oh, it was crazy.
5: So cool. I'm so glad to see him. You know, kind of getting his due. I mean, I've enjoyed him ever since. You know, like Starsky and Hutch and Soul Plane and White Chicks and stuff. So just to see him. Oh, and I have to ask: Does he dance in the movie?
10: I uh, he does. I think I don't know. if It's still in there. I, I, you know, I mean, as he, he he ends everything dancing, you know. I, he does a little, I think he he does a little Kung Fu and then, like, you know, momentarily knocks uh, uh, Louis Guzman's character out and then does a little Michael Jackson thing. But I don't know if that's still in the movie, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it in a bit. <laughs> I'm supposed to look at a cut today actually. <laughs> Do you have a release date yet? Um, it's been a while, and it's just we've been making a lot of changes. One of the big reasons for the changes obviously is is <laughs> I mean, it's just gonna happen, but the you know, the explosion of Eugenio Derbez, there's gonna studio once more him. <laughs> so uh I think it's gonna come out in the fall though. So we're just you know, it's been a while 'cause we we shot it a while ago, but extenuating circumstances like <laughs> And you know, all of sudden, notice like it's like um it was like that movie, there's a movie with Eddie Murphy, best oh, yeah. defense, so oh, Eddie yeah. Murphy they had shot a movie with Eddie Murphy, and he's like five minutes of a minute. And then he, you know, makes 48 hours and it blows up. And so then there's this movie called Best Defense, where he's just, like, in a tank for, like, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Right. And then they make the whole, you know, he's, like, a huge part of the movie.
5: And he's, like, front and center on the poster and the videocassette.
10: Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's basically what I'm admitting, We just made. <laughs> and I went to see that because of him you <laughs>
6: talking about Black Dynamite, the 2009 film that is not only a fun homage, but uh, a love letter to the great exploitation films of the 70s. And Mike, I know like me, you've seen a lot of black exploitation film, but also you've seen the films that try to uh, have fun with it. And one of which would be, um, and, and this is what I thought of when I first saw Black Dynamite, is I'm Gonna Get You sucker."
5: Yeah, I'm a big fan of I'm Gonna Get You sucker," but I have to say Black Dynamite is, really comes at stuff from a totally different angle than Sucker, and I like them both, and I don't think one is right and the other one's wrong or anything. I just think that they both have these two different takes on the same material, and they are both brilliant in the way that they approach it.
4: Never has a film moved so many and touched so deeply. United Artists is proud to present I Am Going to Get You sucker a captivating story
2: yo baby hold it that ain't it it's i'm gonna get you sucker yes and it's the story of the brothers fight yes against mr b yes well
3: let's get that sucker it's about action bravery i'm a soldier man i've been trained for combat Romance,
2: twelve inches and danger.
3: If y'all step on my bunion, I'll kill both of you. I'm gonna get you, sucker. Let's get that sucker. It's the good guys against the bad guys.
1: Oh, how come their guns are so much bigger than ours?
3: It's a phallic thing. I don't know. Good girls against
2: the bad guys.
3: You must got the devil in you. No,
0: cry.
4: It's bad guys against the bad guys. Now, you boys can leave either through the window or the stairs. We're gonna take the
1: stairs. Yeah, we we'll take the stairs.
3: I'm gonna get you, sucker. You know what I mean, brother?
5: <laughs> well, actually, I don't. You know, I didn't grow up around blacks. Now, I grew up in the suburbs. My dad was a lawyer, my mom was a doctor, and all of my friends were white. Jump.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna get you, sucker. <laughs> No. It's got passion, pumps, rhythm, and soul. Great
7: brother! Who these guys? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have some.
1: I'm gonna get Don't say that.
3: I'm gonna get you, sucker. Even if you can't say it, you got to see it.
10: I got you, sucker.
6: Well, I think the big difference between the two is that like we talked about uh, before the interviews, how a lot of films that parody an era will still be of the current time. And since I'm going to get you sucker was like late '80s, early '90s, it has this feel of taking place in that era, but at the same time calling up stuff from the '70s.
5: That they kind of set it in that modern times and. In- kind of look back at what happened in the day i mean i love that they have the flashbacks to jack spade on soul train and just kind of showing what things were like back then and or like the um the antonio Fargas character getting out of jail and being dressed exactly like he was when he went in jail so that huge pimp hat and the the <laughs> platform shoes of the goldfish in him and everything <laughs>
6: See that's the one thing that's missing in Black Dynamite for me, Antonio Fargus. If they could get Antonio Fargus, it would have been over the top for me. I would have just been
5: but that's the thing though. I kinda like it better that they're not doing that. You know they're not saying like here's this older actor who is in these films, and we're gonna pay homage by having you know Bernie Casey or or Jim Brown or Fred Williamson show up that they keep it with you know actors all of the same age kind of going back and they, they've they got like I said the stunt casting where you've got Arsenio and stuff in there But it's not, like, in your face about it. And I think that's one of the things I was afraid of, is that at some point, like, they would get to either, you know, the Kung Fu Island or to the White House or someplace, and it would be somebody that we recognize. And I so appreciate that it wasn't one of these, like, you know, the chair spins around, and there's Jim Brown going, you know, oh, I used to know how to, you know, kick ass, and you guys don't (laughs) know anything. So I'm so glad they didn't do that shit, though.
6: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. But I still love Antonio Fargas. so...
5: Antonio Fargas is, is the man, really. <laughs> and Fly Guy was wonderful, and I love the, again, talking about a flashback within, I'm going to get you, sucka, that whole flashback to the player's ball with him doing the poetry.
3: Representing the Big
1: Apple, Fly Guy!
3: I'm going to try to do a little poetry for y'all. Right. It's an original piece written by me, Fly Guy. And I want to dedicate this piece to all you players yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. and all you ladies out there.
3: Name of this piece is called My Bitch Better Have My Money. Yeah. My bitch better have my money through rain, sleet, or snow. It comes Shakespeare. My hoe better have my money. I'm telling you, that boy's a genius. Tell it. Not have, not some but all my
9: cash
1: because if she don't i'm gonna put my foot dead in her
9: ass
6: you know when we talk about these movies whether it be i'm gonna get you sucker or black dynamite there really is this whole sort of trying to cop the uh, i won't say so much with i'm gonna get you sucker though but it definitely with black dynamite trying to cop this aesthetic in terms of look and uh feel of that era and i think we've sort of seen that recently with um following the whole grindhouse thing that tarantino and and rodriguez did together which you know was the double feature with the fake trailers and all that stuff that came out to theaters and did horrible and then they decided <laughs> they decided to break it in half and put it out as two separate films which I luckily saw the whole thing, uh, like, opening weekend with everything, and I loved it. And to me, you have to see it in in, in that way, even though uh, Tarantino's Death Proof isn't as interesting, I think, as, as Planet Terror. It was still fun to go and, and have that kind of experience and to have this sort of uh, aesthetic, you know, with sort of the scratched film and, you know, jumps and missing reel, you know. <laughs> insert and things like that i mean it's it's just fun
5: rodriguez just did it so much more effectively i thought than tarantino did especially with like the the scene missing that they have like that the people are talking about what happened in that scene after the scene you know was gone and they make it sound like it was this most spectacular stuff (laughs) was going on in that particular scene whereas yeah. when Tarantino did it it was like a kiss was missing and it's like what what was there a 20 minute kiss or something <laughs> i mean it for for Rodriguez it was almost more like a reel was missing and Tarantino it was like they just cut out something yeah it just didn't work at all and sp- same thing with like the scratches and all that kind of stuff i didn't really appreciate that they were kind of like digital scratches but Rodriguez kept that up and would add more back in towards the real marks and everything like you could tell that a real change even though they don't have reels anymore but you could tell a real change was coming up yeah. from the scratches getting more intense and then you yeah. know would taper off after the change had happened
6: the one thing i've noticed though which was the offshoot of the of the big grindhouse double feature was was machete and I think that when Rodriguez did – and I definitely know this was not the second one because I just watched Machete Kills this past weekend – is that it seems like the trailer and interstitial stuff that he puts around the film, he's willing to do that now, willing to scrape it up and make it look all beat up. But the actual film itself is not. With Machete Kills, it was nice and clean and looked fine. And I think it was the same thing with Machete the film. It was the same way. But the trailer that was used to sell it was done in this sort of – we pulled this off the floor of some, you know, dusty old theater that showed this in nineteen seventy four kind of look.
5: When they even had the good voiceover guy doing the voiceover the right yeah. way for that and Yeah, and you're right, like the end of Machete Kills when they do that Machete in space fake trailer. Yeah. Again, completely blown out, the colors aren't right, it looks like it's all outtake kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's perfect. But yeah, the movie itself just looks beautiful. And talk about stunt casting. I mean, having you know Charlie Sheen and Mel Gibson in there—it's like, ugh, really?
6: I really liked the first Machete. I thought the first Machete was really well done. Um, I agree because it does play in that you know '70s action film idea. The second one, which which I just watched, I, I feel it's too long. It probably needs ten minutes taken out of it. There are aspects of it that I like, but there seems to be a lot of. You know, going over and over <laughs> the same crown sometimes. And I am i don't know if he's going to do the third one, but there's part of me that would love to see this ridiculous sort of machete meets Star Wars kind of mashup.
5: In the first one, I mean, there were moments like when he uses a guy's intestines to swing out of the building. You know, I was like that that really works for me. That is great. But yeah, in the second one, it was like that character who's got the two personalities and everything. It's like, oh, for God's sakes, can we just kill this guy? It's just, <laughs> yeah. uh, it did not work for me at all. And
6: the other thing I've noticed is, um, you know, Danny Trejo's getting up there in age. And there was a couple of moments where I felt like he was going to fall over. He looked like he was kind of limping, walking around. <laughs> and I was like... Please don't tell me that the next Machete film, he has to have a walker or something.
5: Well, I think that's badass, the movie that he was
6: in. He's got one of those scooters, you know? He's got one of those old people scooters, you know?
5: But then they'll trick it out like Rodriguez likes to do and put, like, rocket launchers.
6: It'll be a lowrider, (laughs) a getter. There you go.
5: It'll be like Lone Wolf and Cub with the (laughs) tricked-out baby cart. But he'll have the tricked-out, you know, walker kind of thing.
6: There you go. Yeah. Those are sort of in the vein of recent film that sort of plays in the same era and idea of Black Dynamite, I think. Although I would say that um, Black Dynamite's more married to its era than yeah. I would say Machete is. Machete seems contemporary, even though it comes from this sort of you know low budget action film of the seventies. Right.
5: Yeah, and there have been. I mean, it's almost like a little movement, like a subgenre going on as far as these. Films that are trying to ape what was done in the past, like the lost skeleton of Uh There's one called Alien Trespass with Eric McCormick in it. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but they're really trying to say like, oh, this is a lost film because everybody's kind of doing this 50s affect to their voice and everything, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. You know, the colors are really well saturated. It doesn't look like an old film at all. It looks like it was shot on, you know, DV or something. Yeah. And then you compare that to something like uh top of the food chain by John pays, where they're not saying this is a lost film, but people are acting in that 50s type of way, especially um, Campbell Scott, where he is really doing that 50s professor so deadpan, and it's like, this is great stuff. Thank
4: you.
5: So there's no one in town
4: who understands the television tower's circuit. The only person who did died last year.
9: Bingo was his name.
4: B-I-N-G-O? Jackie
3: Bingo. Fell asleep one night watching TV, never woke
4: up. Well, a sad thing. However, if there is a good way to pass on, that is certainly it. His dogs
3: waited for him to nod off, then tore him to
5: pieces. They try too hard in too many of these films to—I don't want to say pay homage to the old stuff because basically they're making fun of it, like you were saying.
6: Yeah. the The other one that I can think of—we had a conversation with him—was Kevin Wilmont on the uh, Confederate States of America episode. Um, he was just prepping it, but he's now finished it. Is um, Destination Planet Negro, which is a black and white film. It's supposed to be like a '50s sci-fi film with all black cast about George Washington Carver, you know, starting an alternate space program and taking all the black people to this other planet. So um, I've seen the trailer for it, and it does seem to, you know, definitely Kevin Wilmont was trying to make it in that like '50s sci-fi vein.
5: I can see him doing a totally great job with that since so much of the recreations in um Confederate States were just so spot on, yeah. you know, especially the um DW Griffith era kind of stuff.
6: Yeah. And then the 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 50s uh communist scare film idea too. Yeah.
5: Really kind of reminds me of the better parts of Amazon Women on the Moon, yeah. you know,
6: which which is another one of my favorites that I love, so.
5: I mean, I love when the film in there is starting to skip and everything, and you get that those you know distorted vocals and stuff. Like you're watching a film in, in um, elementary
6: school. See, and that's the thing that we were talking about with um, uh, Grindhouse and uh, things like that is that when you have – and even we talked about this on the Gremlins episode because in Gremlins 2 where they get into the theater and there's the film break and burn and all that stuff, it's like kids are not going to know what that is no. 10 years from now. With everything being digital, I guess maybe like if a digital projector breaks down or something, maybe there's some sort of new visual idea that, that comes with the film getting all weird looking or something. But but the idea of you know stuck in melted film, <laughs> skips, jumps, uh, scratches – you know, hair in the gate. No, all that's gone.
5: That's where I got so pissed off about these VHS movies that they're doing where it's like, Um, these don't look like they were shot on VHS or ever touched a VCR. Why is there a Skype conversation that's on a VHS tape? How would that even happen? (laughs) Do you know how many steps I would have to go through in order to put a Skype conversation onto a VHS tape? I mean, I could do it with what I have here at home, but it's going to take me like four or five different steps to get it onto that tape. (laughs) It's like, come on, guys. Why are you... Even calling your movie that, especially when the, these things are supposed to be "quote unquote" found footage, and they're completely you know edited and have special effects on them. Yeah.
6: Well, uh, you know, one place that's also seemed to have a uh, a love of this era in Black Dynamite, and this was the thing that I thought of when we were talking about doing this episode was Jim Rugg is Jim Rugg's aphrodisiac and. Oh. I read this in um, Detroit Comics Nerdy Book Club. Detroit Comics up in Ferndale, Michigan has a, a book club each month. And it was one of the books that we picked there a few years ago. And I was, as I read it, I go, this is Black Dynamite. <laughs> I'm like, to me, it was totally in the same vein. But it seems that not one was influenced by the other. It just seems that they were both sort of working along parallel tracks at the same time. It was just something in the zeitgeist.
5: Yeah, which is really weird. But yeah, I talked to to Jim Rugg about this. He, full disclosure, he did the um, cover art for Impossibly Funky, and uh, as part of that, um, you know, we, I was looking at his previous work, and he sent me a couple of his books and everything. And one of them was Aphrodisiac, and yeah, I couldn't believe that it was so similar and I'm just like, Jim, what's the what's the story here? you know, 'cause I'm always sniffing for, you know, ripoffs and that kind of stuff. And he's like, No, no, we were they were probably writing their stuff at the same time I was writing mine and there was no you know, cross-pollination, but that they ended up at so many of the similar places. It was, yeah. You're totally right. It must have just been something in the air at the time.
6: Yeah, and I don't want to ruin the ending of Black Dynamite because it is a relatively new film and not a lot of people, you know, if you haven't had a chance to see it, I don't want to, I don't want to wreck it for you. But there is a similar villain in both Black Dynamite and in Jim Rugg's Aphrodisiac, which I find hilarious that this person has been the same uh, – It was kind of used in the same way, although the plot's a little different.
5: Yeah. Well, the thing I love about Aphrodisiac is some of the – I don't know if outtakes is the right word, but some of the the sideline-type stories, like where you see – covers for other episodes or issues, I should say of aphrodisiac. So like him in the, um, the, the dinosaur age, yeah. you know, 20,000 BC Vietnam, you know? <laughs> so just some of those that are like, I mean, cause the, the comic itself is so rich and there's just like stuff going on from margin to margin. And then you get to some of the pages that are, you know, supposed to be basically like throwaway, but they're not because they, they have so many things packed into these things. So, yeah, I if folks like Aphrodisiac, I recommend Black Dynamite. And if folks like Black Dynamite, I can't recommend Aphrodisiac enough because they play in the same kind of sandbox and they both do really great things with it. Yeah,
6: and that's one of the big things that, that I had a lot of fun with were, were all those various covers, you know, because the idea of the book, like when you read it, you kind of get the feeling that maybe it was like – Oh, here are like some scooped up pages or maybe a couple of episodes of something that ran for ten years or something back in the seventies and this is sort of like lost discovered black exploitation comic book.
5: And the way that he does the the you know, all the dots and everything that make it look like an older comic and some of the some of the panels are done that way. Some of them are done, you know, more um, like a modern era kind of thing. It reminds me a lot of what Alan Moore has done in different um, comics that he's done, like uh, the Tom Strong books, where some of them are kind of like, here's this Tom Strong st- story that survived from the 50s. You know, he talks very much about the golden age and the silver age of comics, and will you know, kind of go back and forth with timelines in some of those books. And Rugg is doing the exact same thing. All right, we're going to take another break and play a preview for next week's show.
4: Look, The star of Pink Flamingos is here again. It's divine. She's got balls, and she's got female trouble.
1: I'm a thief and a shit kicker, and uh, I'd like to be famous. Dawn Davenport is eating a meatball sandwich right out in class.
4: Here she is, divine as Dawn Davenport, a feisty young high school girl.
1: My parents
4: are
1: going to be real sorry if I don't get them cha-cha heels. Nice girls don't wear cha-cha heels. Give those friends. down. never wear those ugly shoes. I told you not a
4: Yes, she had a lot of problems. And she found herself in big
1: female, female trouble.
4: trouble.
3: I just wanted to tell you that I'm pregnant and I want money. Maybe just because you got them big udders don't mean you're something special.
1: It's hard being a loving mother. I give her free food, a bed, clean underpants. What does she expect? Look in the mirror, Taffy. For 14, you don't look so good.
0: Never have I encountered such a morally bankrupt group of people.
1: If they're smart, they're queer. And if they're stupid, they're straight.
7: Crime enhances one's beauty. The worse the crime gets, the more ravishing one becomes.
1: I'm going to chop off your scrawny little paw.
4: Watch as Divine performs the most perverse acts ever brought to the screen.
1: I blew Richard Beck, yeah! and I'm so fucking beautiful I can't stand it
3: myself.
1: Shut up! Shut up! Shut up!
4: You'll follow Divine's life of sex and crime from its tawdry beginning oh, to its very end.
1: You say comfortable too.
4: <laughs> Share the tears and laughter with Divine, Edith Massey as Aunt Ida, and the Pink Flamingos gang. A new high in low taste. John Waters' Female Trouble. She had a lot of problems. Coming
6: soon from Saliva Films. That's right. We're back next week celebrating International Women's Day with Female Trouble. We'll be joined by our friend Juniper Moore and Miss Taffy Davenport herself, Mink Stole, to talk about the John Waters classic. I want to thank this week's special guests, Scott Sanders and Byron Mins for coming by and talking to us about Black Dynamite. And, of course, you can learn more about their work over at our website, projection-booth.com, and also learn more about what's happening in the universe of all things Black Dynamite.
5: So we also want to thank everybody for listening over the last three years and helping make the show a success kind of a success i guess it's a success people actually listen to it which i would consider successful it's definitely been one heck of a ride and i want to thank you rob for coming along on the ride with me
6: here oh you know it's it's always fun i enjoy doing this and um, it's always nice to hear from folks and what they think about what we're doing so uh, just to quote dirk digler I'm just going to keep kicking ass and make better movies.
5: We asked folks to send in some of their thoughts, uh, some of their favorite moments of the show, and we are going to play those and then uh, take off for this week. And we'll be back next week. And hopefully we'll have another three successful years after that.
8: <coughs> Excuse me. Hey, Mike. Uh, this is Mike Sullivan. just want to congratulate you on uh, three years of the projection booth. Um I, uh, I got like a weird scientist thing and I've got, I've had too much coffee, so I'll try to keep this coherent. Uh, but you know, I've been on the show twice. Uh, one of the shows was one of the least loved and worst received episodes in the projection booth's history. And that's going to be something I'm going to take to my grave. But I think otherwise, you know, the series has been great. Uh, you've been great. Robert St. Mary's been great. And you know, here's for three more years. Here's for three more years of film, excitement, good times, laughter and uh, movies, lots of movies. So, again, congratulations. I love what you're doing. I love the show. And here's to more of it, three more years of it, or ten, many
10: more years. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: Hi, guys.
8: Hi, Hi, Mike and Rob.
5: This is Lacey. This is Mia. Congratulations on three awesome years of the projection booth. Um, We really look forward to hearing what you guys have in store every week,
8: uh, particularly You know, the films that we're not all that familiar with. You've turned us on to a lot of incredible cinema we probably would have never been exposed to otherwise. Um, We're especially thankful for being introduced to Crime Wave and the world of John Pace, but it neither begins nor
5: ends there. We really love your show and can't wait to see what the future holds. Here's to many more years of thoughtful commentary, witty banner, cool co-hosts, and top-notch interviews. You guys are
9: the best.
8: Cheers! Hey, guys, this is Ken uh, from Rhode Island checking in. Um... Oh, excuse me. I just wanted to uh, wish you guys a happy third anniversary on your wonderful podcast. Um, I'm a I'm an office uh, cubicle junkie who's stuck in the monotony of typing and keys and numbers and all sorts of bullshit all day. So naturally, my I get to listen to podcasts, which is what I tell people. That's what I get paid for is listening to podcasts. Um, I've been listening to the show almost since the beginning. Uh, shock treatment was the first episode and what can I say? I love it. I love you guys. Uh, I look forward to your show every week. Uh, I am mystique, the cat on the Facebook group. I love corresponding with, uh, both Rob and Mike. You guys are good guys. Uh, even though Mike doesn't like, uh, Wes Anderson, that's fine. You know, it's counting for personal taste. Um, yeah, the projection booth fans are always nice and fun to talk to, fun to bust balls with. Um, What can I say? You guys do a great show. I love it. I look forward to it every week, and I can't wait to hear the next one. Dino Mike. Dino Mike.
1: You may not remember me, but I wanted to call in and say that my favorite episode of the show was the one you did on Auschwitz. You should bring that co-host back. He was amazing. I'm cleaning up the streets street. uh-huh. Every push and hustle and smile Slow the more them all down i cleaning up the streets uh-huh. Not a mob and the politicians can get together